Good morning, Lakeside. I'm Mike Durning, one of the teaching team here. Always a great excitement to be up here with you. Uh, always excited to preach. My, uh, it affects everything about me on the Sunday mornings that I preach. My wife was eyeing the speedometer as I drove us here today. And uh, I think I was mostly good. So, okay. Uh, today's sermon is about trust. It's hard to find someone you can trust. There's so many great jokes about trust. A wealthy man was told by his doctor that he was going to die. Absolutely determined to take his money with him, he got a priest, a Baptist preacher, and his lawyer together, and he converted most of his money uh, into gold coins to be dropped in the grave before it was closed. So after the burial, before the cemetery staff closed the grave, the priest walks up and throws a heavy sack in the grave, as does the Baptist minister. And finally, the lawyer drops a noticeably lighter sack in. And as the three walk away from the grave, the lawyer says, tell me the truth. Did each of you do your duty by the old man? And the priest said, well, I must confess, I, bit, I shaved a bit off for the orphanage. And the Baptist preacher sighs and says, we did take a bit off for the new church auditorium. And the lawyer said, I'm shocked. You two are men of God. How dare you? I'll have you know the check in my bag was written for the entire amount. <laughs> it's indeed hard to find someone you can trust on earth. I hope, though, that through today's sermon, we'll get a better grip on our trust in God. Today, we're continuing our study in the life of Joshua called Faith and Courage, Lessons from Joshua. We're still very early in the life of Joshua, long before he becomes leader of Israel, as told in the book of Joshua. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Numbers 13. Verses will also be on the screen, but always great to follow along in your Bibles. We have to fly today as we have two chapters to cover. It's a great story. So Numbers 13. Alice in Wonderland is a humorous children's story, immortalized in not only book, but movies now. Other books of the Alice verse are Through the Looking Glass and The Hunting of the Snark, which is my personal favorite. You should look it up. In Lewis Carroll's writings, uh, at some points, Alice perceives herself to alternately grow bigger or smaller, depending on consumption of different parts of a mushroom. In our modern era, some of you may probably think that you know what sort of mushroom that was. <laughs> But it may surprise you to know that there's an actual neurological condition called Alice in Wonderland Syndrome, named for her in the books, of course, in which the per person, person perceives themselves or even parts of their body individually to be growing larger or smaller. They can perceive themselves as bigger or smaller, sometimes see their, their, like their hands, for example, growing or shrinking, though growing is more common. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of epilepsy or migraine in terms of where in the brain it lives. You can look it up. I'm not making it up. Growing larger or smaller would be interesting, just like Alice or like Ant-Man in the Marvel movies. Today, we're going to talk about a spiritual ailment that sometimes makes you seem smaller to yourself, and a spiritual cure that can make your problems seem smaller to you. Not visually, like a neurological or an eye problem, but spiritually. Sometimes people can shrink or grow spiritually in relation to their challenges, their problems, their lives. And I'm going to spend a lot of this sermon telling you how. Our goal will be that you learn to see yourself as bigger than the challenge and the problems, bigger than the obstacles keeping you from the enormous opportunities that God has put ahead of you. In fact, our big idea today is this. We need to trust God, his character, and his word more than we trust what we think or see. Joshua got it, demonstrated it throughout his life, and you can too. Now, before you get too excited, I want to properly position this sermon in your mind. We don't believe that the Bible teaches us that God will always give us the new promotion, a yacht, a winning lottery ticket. All that would be nice. There are people who say that, mainly on TV, but the Bible doesn't support that. 
Some of those things may happen, but I am not promising that, and neither is God. But like Joshua, we have battles to face. We have obstacles to overcome, obstacles in our path. Many of these can intimidate us, not, to not end up moving ahead as well if we let them. And some of them are part of God's definite plan to take us to great places. Just like Joshua's people heading for the promised land, how can we see ourselves and those obstacles rightly and not cower in fear? That's our question today and our emphasis. So we're in Numbers 13. The children of Israel, guided by God through Moses, are moving toward the land God promised. We've already met Joshua, a young assistant to Moses, destined for great things. Now they've come right up to the edge of the promised land and some exploration has to occur. Here we are in the verses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent, from, uh, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel, and these were their names. And we're not going to name the names. We're not going to read them because it's really long, and some of them are really hard to pronounce on a Sunday morning with insufficient caffeine. <laughs> but if you look in verse 8, you see this person. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. That person is Joshua. How do I know that? Verse 16. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now, we don't know if this was just a nickname that Moses applied to him that stuck, or if Moses just renamed him during this event. It's a natural thing, though. Here's a bit of a Hebrew lesson. Hosea or Hosea is saves or helps. The long form Joshua of Joshua is Yeheshua, which means God helps or God saves. Moses sees that God has been stirring in Joshua's heart, and he adds a credit to God in Joshua's name. So, 12 spies go to spy in Canaan. You know you want to do it, but we're not doing it. All right. Uh, the first act is done. The spies wander through the entire region in a doozy of a trip for many days. And when they come back, they have to give a report. Here it is, starting in verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They were holding up large grapes, I believe. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Short version here, they're saying, lots of powerful tribes in very powerfully fortified cities. We're in trouble. We can't do it. God sent us here, but he seems to have overlooked something. We can't do it. Did you hear me say we can't do it? That's what they're saying. Here is the report of the two good spies, which is delivered by Caleb. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Not a man of many words is Caleb. Caleb says they can do it. How do we know that Joshua sided with Caleb? In the next chapter, which we will see as we read on, we hear Joshua side with Caleb. We know God is pleased with Joshua and Caleb's reaction. Why does it not mention Joshua directly here? We have good reason to believe that Joshua is younger than Caleb. Uh, the exact number is disputed. Some scholars put him at as, as low as age 20, even at this point. I agree with their arguments, some don't. But either way, Caleb is older, and he's going to take point. He's the spokesman for the two who were trusting God. This detracts nothing from Joshua's courage, which we'll see plainly later. So Caleb and Joshua vote, yes, we need to go up now and we need to conquer. We can do it. The opposition speaks up, trying to sway the crowd from going because they're terrified. And their plan is to terrify the crowd. 
They want to drive them away from doing what God has promised they can do because of fear. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought up to the, brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. They talk about these Nephilim, these sons of Anak, people of great height. What does this mean? You may remember years later, the story familiar from Sunday school for many people about David and Goliath. Goliath was from Anakim, the city of these folks. Anakim, Raphaim, different tribes of giants. Is this possible? You know, people scoff at stories like this, but there are genetic forms of giantism that can breed true through generations. The people with these genetic conditions can grow up to nine feet in height. They can sometimes be extremely nearsighted too. You may recall in the story of David and Goliath, Goliath is led out of the battlefield by a boy, right? In personal close on combat with a sword, these guys would be a terror. Terrifying close up, David, of course, wisely chose a ranging weapon to take him on. The condition is called familial isolated pituitary adenoma, or one of many other related possibilities. And there was, it seems, a tribe of these giants living in Canaan at the time. Now, regardless of whether Dr. Mike has used the internet to correctly diagnose these giants, <laughs> these were scary warriors. Now, let's take a step back and analyze the whole history here, okay? The Israelites have been let out from God who has promised them a destination in the promised land, Canaan. Along the way, they've seen miracle after miracle. First step, the waters are parted and they cross the Red Sea. The Egyptian armies drowned, enemies defeated. Miraculous provision of food and water. A pillar of fire lights the sky above them at night, lighting their camp. A pillar of cloud goes with them day by day, cooling the hot sun from hitting them. It's still the desert, but it's some shade. Countless memories from the scrapbook of the children of Israel thus far. God is with them. But these 10 spies thought that God couldn't handle this thing that they were facing. This is the way in which they were bad spies. Let's focus on one sentence from them for a moment. Verse 33, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. I said, I am a grasshopper. Here's the application, the principle I want you to get here this morning. Application number one, fear magnifies our obstacles and shrinks our vision of ourselves and God. Again, fear magnifies our obstacles and shrinks our vision of ourselves and God. And let me give you application number two right away, which logically follows it. Because Caleb and Joshua do not quake. They do not fear. Application number two, faith shrinks our obstacles and magnifies our vision of God and ourselves. This is the principle we see throughout the Bible. It's sprinkled throughout scripture. Among the many examples from the Bible is the story of David and Goliath I mentioned earlier, in which David doesn't seem to care at all that Goliath is a giant. In the New Testament, a big crowd listening to Jesus, they have journeyed far to see him, they're hungry. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, you give them something to eat. <laughs> but Jesus, we only have 12 loaves of bread and two fishes. Jesus apparently thinks that 12 loaves of bread and two fishes are perfect to feed 5,000 people. Of course, since he's God, they're gonna get strangely multiplied. But do you get it? Fear magnifies our obstacles and shrinks our vision of ourselves and God. Faith shrinks our obstacles and magnifies our vision of God and ourselves. The only thing these people in these Bible stories needed to know was what God wanted them to do. Once they knew that, there was no reason to fear, no reason to hesitate, no reason to see their obstacles as overwhelming. 
Now, I'm talking to a bunch of people today who face obstacles. And I'm not concerned about wealth or health or advancement, promotions, etc. I'm concerned with how we face and accomplish what God has for us. The Israelites have been promised the land. That's why it's called the promised land. You know. And there were obstacles. How were they to view these obstacles? A lot of the young men from our church viewed, a lot like a young man from our church recently uh, viewed his obstacle in the church gym. Asked Ethan to get the tip of his finger looked at. Who knows what germs a dinosaur carries? <laughs> so you want to grow up and serve him. You have obstacles in your life, temptations, weaknesses. God can help you overcome them. God can help you overcome them. In fact, he promises to do so, so for those who rely on him. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You're facing a serious illness. You can face it with dignity and courage, knowing that he will be with you the whole way to remission or heaven, either way. You have some people with whom you want to share the gospel. You want to pass on truth to your kids or grandkids or friends or siblings. Hey, he's with you. The Holy Spirit is in your corner fighting this battle. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses. Maybe it's a sin struggle, maybe an addiction you only need to know that God wants you to change. And knowing that, you know he will be with you. A new day is there for you if you are his. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A life of obedience hinges on believing God will do exactly what he says and that God will give you the courage to accomplish everything that he has called you to do. 2 Timothy 1, 7, But for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let me say something to those of you who are not yet trusting in Christ as Savior. You may be in fear of death, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can have confidence of what's on the other side. You can have confidence that he can save you from yourself and from death and give you eternal joy in heaven. Jesus said this, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You can trust God that the author offer of forgiveness and salvation and new life in him is real. He keeps his word. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus to rescue you from your sin and yourself even, here's your chance. You can trust him. And I want to challenge you to do one of two things after this sermon. Number one possibility, I want to encourage you to talk to someone right afterward about what it means to become a Christian. Or, number two, I'm asking you to write down the email address we'll have on the screen at the end so you can email and begin that discussion. For those of you who do know him, or even who choose him today, here is the point. He's on your side. So you can say with authority, I am not a grasshopper. In fact, say it with me, will you? Okay. I am not a grasshopper. Again, I am not a grasshopper. Once more with feeling. I am not a grasshopper. And why you're not a grasshopper? Because I have the presence and promises of God with me. Say that with me. Because I have the presence and promises of God with me. All together the whole thing now. 
I am not a grasshopper because I have the presence and promises of God with me. It's time to live it, okay? The 10 guys who came back were obligated, obligated, I say, to see the challenge of the giants in a very particular way. What they should have been saying was, wow, I can't wait to see how God is gonna get us through this to defeat those giants. Because in the end, it's God who fights for us. And that's what you need to say to the obstacles that exist between you and what God has directed you to do. The thing that is keeping your Christian life from being one of victory, the thing that is keeping you from doing what God says. You need to say, I'm moving ahead with this because God is on my side and I can't wait to see what he does in this matter. So here's our set of challenge questions for the first half of this sermon. In what ways do I courageously follow God's plan? And in what ways do I run in fear? And if it is fear, what do I do to change? Some questions for self-reflection. I've told so many stories of God moving in my life miraculously from this platform over the years. I don't want to bore you with a retread. Here's one from a friend. My friends, Tom and Martha Pride, are down in Hudsonville, Michigan. Yes, they're musicians. A traveling Christian folk band. So you know there's lots of money there. <laughs> He's also the pastor of a small church. So you know there's not a lot of funds to work with there. He and his wife had a family member who was being victimized by an abusive spouse. And they took her in and began to experience the reality of battered wives and how complicated their lives can be. Uh, you, uh, they, you could not even imagine the challenges that they have to face with an abused spouse and they not only have to leave the other one but find a safe place to hide out from that person and for the kids to hide out with them. Out of that experience grew a ministry called the Psalm 82 Initiative. They give hope and help to such women and their kids. They have courses for church leaders to know how to handle these problems and better inside the church and outside. And they help so many women and kids directly. A few years ago, Tom and his wife, Martha, felt the Lord calling them to do this on a bigger scale. They needed a very large house, a facility for these women and kids to come and be safe and heal and plan a new future. Their church, Open Door Bible Church in Hudsonville, is considerably smaller than this church is. And a goal of getting a house with like nine or 10 rooms, multiple bathrooms, a large kitchen, had to be overwhelming. You can't buy Downton Abbey on a small church budget or a single salary. Tom and his wife began to talk about it and urge people to pray about it. And a couple years later, here's the place. It's actually much deeper than it looks. This is the refuge, that very large house where many women and their kids have found a new start. They prayed, they talked to God's people, and it began to happen. Now, I don't want to make this about fundraising alone. Let's make it more personal. I could talk about my astoundingly serious heart attack where amazingly all of our needs were met while I lay dying. I lived, by the way. And we got through it. <laughs> we didn't have any real savings uh, to go when we went into that, thanks to my astounding gift for turning gold into lead. But, but God got us through. I could talk about the fact that I lived even though he kept, uh, they kept calling people and saying, he's going to die any time now. You better come up. I could talk about the fact that I recovered beyond all reasonable hope and work full-time plus with a heart that pumps so poorly that I technically qualify for disability. I don't know how. I can testify that God has never failed me. By the way, I'm going to die someday, and that will still be true, just in a different way. Or I could talk about the countless people that I've seen step out of troubles, addictions, move forward through adversity that staggers the imagination, obey when under the most uh, horrible of pressures, and God acted on their behalf. And things came through with beauty and joy and victory, faith and courage. The stories in scripture, the stories of countless Christians throughout the ages of history, the stories of people in this room and my own story cry out to you with these simple words, you are not a grasshopper. As long as you are viewing the problems and obstacles through the lens of God and his promises and his plans for you. 
So the next time you are tempted to be overwhelmed, look up. Look up with the eyes of faith. Then after you've got your attention firmly on God, look down at that giant and say, hey, what is that you're trying to do with my little toe? Get away. <laughs> yes, I'm mocking the things that are in our way. And you should too, by the promises of God. Oh, now if our story ended there, this would be a happy, uplifting sermon. Sadly, it's not necessarily a happy ending for these people because they listen to their fear instead of their faith. The story continues in Numbers 14. The report has been delivered. The people do not listen to the two good spies. They listen to the 10 bad ones. They decide that they are grasshoppers too. And in chapter 14, verses one through four, they start mourning. They start talking about a rebellion, unseating Moses, returning to Egypt, the place from which God had freed them from slavery. They wanna go back? In verses five through nine, we hear the response from Joshua and Caleb. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of God, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not, uh, do not fear the people of a land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. By the way, hear the contrast of viewpoint. It's not that we are grasshoppers, hoppers, it's that our enemies are bread. What a great insult. You know, you're not a warrior or a giant who stands in my way, you're bread. I'm gonna slice you up and chew and swallow you. But here's how the people responded. Verse 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So get this, the people were going to execute Joshua and Caleb for not playing to their fears. Now I wanna step out of the story for a moment and talk about us here. This feels very modern, right? Our whole culture is filled with politicians and media figures and others trying to drive us with fear to vote a certain way or buy gold to pretend to get a recession or maybe get angry and do something. But it's important for us to remember a few key ideas in times of uncertainty. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. If you're fear-driven, you're not being driven by his Holy Spirit. And you're not even being governed by reason, just fear. It's not good for you your circumstances, or the situation you're trying to help. And the crowd may be furious with you for not joining them in their fear. This is not to say that there are things we shouldn't be concerned with. I'm saying study for yourself and analyze and find truth. Do not let your fears overpower the truths you know. Oh no, we're losing the culture. Oh no, we're all gonna die in a nuclear war. The economy is going to collapse. Social security will run out. A giant meteorite is going to crash into the world and kill most of us. The government's not telling us about UFOs. The government's going to be communist. War with China is inevitable. Regardless of the fear, you have the gift of the ultimate objectivity. Just like they did. These guys in our story had seen God deliver them again and again and again on their journey. They had explicit promises from God that he was going to take them somewhere and it meant nothing to them. And you have the same kind of promises. At least you'll be in heaven. And Jesus is coming. He's promised to not forsake us. And he's promised to be with us in the midst of whatever we go through. So make wise choices under pressure, but don't ever, don't ever be driven by fear. Back to our story. So they had insulted God by being terrified of the land to which he had promised them. And they were gonna kill the two people who were challenging them to go to that land. Get this, application number three, overwhelming fear despite God's promises can be an insult to God. And as we'll see, God takes it that way. At this point, God steps in. We're gonna step over a long discussion between God and Moses, but read with me starting at verse 26. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number, listen in the census from 20 years old and upward, who've grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land which I swore I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. Wow, that's dark. Now I want to say this very carefully. God is not going to let Israel enter the promised land yet. The rebels who refused, at least the older generation of leaders who should know better, they're not going to go in. The Israelites will wander in the wilderness there for 40 years until they die. Only the young people of the next generation will live to see it, except Joshua and Caleb. They'll still be alive. But I want to make this very clear. God didn't stop loving his people. The manna kept falling. They were fed. The water kept coming from the rock. Their shoes and clothes did not wear out. The pillar of fire by night was there. The pillar of cloud by day was still there. They were still his people. But a couple of things are at play here. God is riled. If there was ever a people group that God saw, work, that saw God work, this is it. And they still don't believe. Don't go there. Now, I'm not trying to take a person who's already terrified of their life circumstances and make them still more afraid of God's judgment. You know, great, Mike, I came to church because I was scared of what's ahead of me, and now I'm afraid God's going to be mad at me for being scared. It's not my point or my purpose. My point and purpose is this. There comes a time we've been given so much, much is required of us. That's how Jesus said it. Spider-Man's Uncle Ben put it well, too, with great power comes great responsibility, right? When you've experienced a certain amount of God's blessing and seen him work in mighty ways at various times in your life, that obligates you to go out with assurance of that power. Once you've seen that he is there enough times, you have to start living like he's there. And if you don't, God can slam shut the door and say, okay, then, let's not do this. The great thing I had for you will come to another, or to you only later, or in a different way. I've been there. Years ago, I was in full-time ministry, I had to leave a church that I loved and of which I had served for 18 years with people I loved dearly because I listened to different voices than his. No, it wasn't sexual or anything like that. I know that's the first thing everyone thinks when a leader has to leave these days. But it was a real problem in my life and friends were hurt. I can't get back to where I was then, but I could start where I was then and change the ending. I'll never experience the path that I would have seen if I'd walked obediently in faith at that time. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I can't serve him. It doesn't mean he doesn't care doesn't mean I can't find true joy in my new path. It just means that my do the door has been shut and a different path is forged for me by my not acting in faithful obedience at that time. As for where I was when I was in full-time ministry at that church, I miss it every day. And I wouldn't go back to where I was in my life, my relationship with God, or even my marriage for all the world. Now, I don't know that Israel felt that way two years later while they're wandering around the desert. But I hope many of them got the point because the point wasn't the promised land. The point was being his people. I've told, uh, I've told you before about one of our sons who left his wife and kids and pursued a life of hard drugs and silly women. I drive by the house where they once lived on some rare occasions and to think of all the joy and the hope that was there and to see that it's all come to nothing is incredibly sad. He can't go back. If he cleaned up his act today, got on drug treatment, came out cleaned, repented, went back to his ex and said, I'm back. Everything's fine now, just like it used to be. 
She stared at him like he was nuts. Life has moved on. And sometimes the door to go back is shut. That's not to say he can't straighten out, find a good life, find joy, over time, prove himself so he can see his kids, repair some of what's been done, but he will not see the path that would have been his had he stayed in faithful obedience. So a challenge question. Now, what ways am I insulting God by not trusting his promises? Where is that taking me? Now, here's the final application this morning. Application number four, we should step through God's open door. But if not, the wilderness that follows will grow our faith. Let's talk about it from the standpoint of the children of Israel first. They were not strong and courageous. They were not faithful. They didn't step through in faith to where God wanted them to be, toward the promised land. God may have to take you down a harder path for a while to mold you to become the person you need to be to go where he wants you to go. The Israelites thought the objective was the promised land, but to God, one real important point was the learning to trust him. The relationship with him was every bit as important to God as the destination, probably more. Learn from this story. Wait, Mike, you said, there's another way to learn besides the hard way? Absolutely. Learn from this story. You have great opportunities from this day forward. You have marching orders from God right now. There are things he wants you to do for him. Mostly they're in the Bible. There are commands and promises, prohibitions, processes. God says, do it this way. And just like the Israelites who literally had God say to them, I'm sending you to this place and you will possess it. It's going to take some trust to get you there because there will be battles. But God's command to do it is the guarantee that you can have victory. All you have to know is that he told you through the Bible. You should read it sometime. And once we know, we can do with confidence. Some of you may sense a calling from God to do something specific for him. Go forward. Don't wait for lightning in the sky to signal you. Start now. Some of you may be dabbling with something that has your attention more than God. You know it's wrong. You know it is. You've got to stop. Trust in him. Look at him. And let him lead you out of that. You know the door is open now, and it's only going to get worse if you keep going the wrong way. In all these situations, in every situation, do what God says in faith while the doors are all open. When I was about 12 years old, they began to install these sensor doors at stores. They used to have the mats before that, but they, they put the sensors on. And you know, there's a little plastic nub up there and it senses as you approach the door and the door opens. We think nothing of it. I actually was a bit obsessed. Could I trick it? If I approached it slowly enough, could I trick it? If I held a piece of poster board at an angle, would it bounce off? Could I trick it? If I approached it at an angle sharp enough, could I trick it? My dad found me doing this one day and looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> this was not unusual in my childhood. You see, Mike, I see that you were just as weird as a child as you are now, and you're right. My scientific findings were this, it was quite difficult to fool the sensor. They used microwaves back then, now it's infrared, which senses heat, wait. So I go there with a bag of ice and hold it up. <laughs> Never mind. The door just opens, okay? Here's the thing. God is not like an automatic door sensor. He's more like a doorman at a fine hotel. You approach the fine hotel and the doorman opens the door. You, let's say you step back. He's gonna close the door and he's gonna look at you with a funny look. You approach again and he opens the door. If you step back again, he's gonna say something to you about making a choice. I know I tried this. No, I'm kidding, I didn't. <laughs> If you try to fool him a few more times, he's probably not gonna open the door anymore. He may call the police on you. Now, I'm not saying that God is gonna stop loving anyone. I'm saying that when God puts his plan, his opportunities for us ahead of us, if we hang back in fear enough times, we may have to find another path. We may miss the blessing God had for us at that time in that way that we would have seen had we only stepped through in faith. But if we step through each door that he opens in sequence for us in confidence that he has this, 
that we'll be okay, that we're not grasshoppers, but rather that the obstacles in front of us are, we can know some great blessings. Here's my last challenge then. Find the things that God is calling you to do. Find the things that is holding out before you as this magnificent vision of service to him and his kingdom. Find the things you know that he wants for you, like a good family, a godly marriage, a place of service, whatever it is. And when you found them, ignore the voices that are shouting, run away, you're a grasshopper. No, you are not. They are. They are nothing before the Almighty. Be a Joshua and go through those doors. Don't be like those others who quake before obstacles that should have been, they should have seen as tiny. I do not want to promise you that everything will always go perfectly when you are brave like that. They will go better though. I can say this, the wilderness will build your faith, but it's always best not to have to go there. Step through the doors God has opened for you. From the standpoint of Joshua and Caleb, this wilderness time was a bit different. They had faith. Why were they stuck in the wilderness too? We're all on a journey together, moving toward where God wants us to be in a group. Joshua and Caleb, for example, ended up wandering for 40 years with the other Israelites, even though they were courageous and faith-filled. But the experience and the result were different. Joshua and Caleb were ascending toward leadership among the people during those 40 years because their faith was a shining example. People could look back and say, oh yeah, they were on board with God's plan from the very beginning. We should have been listening to them all along. We're all in this together. If you are a Joshua, faith-filled, trusting God, you may get dragged along for the ride while the rest of the people of God get caught up with your faith. That's okay. He'll be with us all. God will get all of us who are his own to where we're supposed to be in the end. That is exactly our big idea today. We need to trust God, his character, and his word more than we believe what we think or see. The door is open now. We need to step through it. If we could all do it together, we can avoid some times in the wilderness. Here's the quote, ending quote. God's eyes are on you. They never leave. The difference in the direction of your day will be if your eyes are on him. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we need your help to see the obstacles in front of us through the eyes of faith. Oh, may we take advantage of the opportunities and directions you have given us and not cower. Oh, the things that could be done if we would just listen to your voice and go where you say to go and not live in fear. We pray for anybody here who does not yet know you as Savior that they might find and trust you today. Join us and stand as we continue in worship and sing about how great our God is.